you have your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, the passage that Ben read a few moments ago. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find the scripture on page 1154 today, verses 17 through 19 of chapter 6. We welcome this morning our sister congregation, Epic Faith, who will be uh, sitting in on this message tonight as they gather And to our brothers and sisters who are part of Epic Faith, uh, we're so glad that you're part of our great FAC family. And we hope that uh, you know how much we love you and care about you. We pray for you, and we are hoping that you are praying for us, and that together we will continue to serve the Lord in this place and in this generation to reach lost people for Christ. Welcome to our Epic Faith congregation uh, through the wonders of videotape. This morning, we're starting a brand new series uh, this morning. Ben and I, over the next few weeks, are going to be preaching uh, several messages, four probably, uh, on the topic, how to be rich. Not how to get rich, but how to be rich. It seems to me that we have all sorts of voices around us that are giving us so-called expert advice on how it is that we are to attain wealth, how to get rich, how to get ahead, how to accumulate more. But it seems that there are precious few who will step up and rise to the challenge of telling us as Christ followers, how is it that we are to manage the wealth that God has blessed us with? How are we not to get rich, but rather, how are we to be rich? Now, I know that some of you are thinking, well, I might as well check out for the next few weeks. These messages aren't for me because I'm not rich and I doubt that I'll ever be rich. So, Rick, why don't you move on to another topic, something that I can sink my teeth into because this certainly doesn't apply to me. But may I beg you, your indulgence this morning, before you tune me out, I would ask you to hear me out, not only this morning, but over the coming weeks as we build upon this theme and examine what Scripture has to say about how we as followers of Christ are to manage the the material possessions that God has placed in our hands. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to focus on this brief passage from Paul's letter to his spiritual son in the faith, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. And in this passage, and this will be the primary place that we camp on over the next few weeks, in this passage, Paul commands the believers and, Paul, and commands Timothy in particular uh, to, to talk to them about riches and wealth and what it means to be a faithful steward. Now, I want you to understand that when Paul is talking to Timothy, he's not just talking about giving money to the church, about what we give to the church, but he's talking about our perspective, our view on material possessions in general. Now, this isn't the only place that the Bible addresses this issue. In fact, throughout the Bible, it's interesting to note that the Bible speaks more about money and material possessions than it talks about prayer or the topic of faith. There are many places throughout the Bible that that address this whole issue of money and stewardship, riches and possessions. Paul talks about it quite a bit in this particular chapter in verses 9 and 10 earlier on before our text Today, he speaks about the inordinate desire that seems to be within mankind 
to attain wealth, to get rich. And he also talks about the trial and the troubles that come from loving money and letting it be a a guiding force in our life. Later, in his second letter to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, Paul speaks about the last days. And as he talks about the last days in, in his words to Timothy, he says, in the last days, men will be lovers of self and they will be lovers of money. It's interesting to me because I think those words are very prophetic and they do describe the day in which you and I live. It seems to me that the primary problem that many are struggling with today has to do with their self-centeredness. That is, an orientation that it's all about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I need. I see this in marriages all the time, where one or the other spouse will demand their way because it's what they need, what they want, what they deserve. And so... Paul says, in the last days, men will be lovers of self and lovers of money. But in this particular passage, Paul is speaking to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he's saying, I want you to say these things to the rich in your company. Now, let me just uh, very quickly uh, say to you that I think it's very tempting for us to check out on this message because we don't feel rich. We feel like I must be speaking to somebody else because you're having a hard time scraping by. We may have in our minds some secret boundary line which we have not yet crossed in terms of personal wealth which constitutes being rich. We think, if I only make that much money, then I'll be rich. If I make... $50,000 a year, then I'll be rich. But if I make $50,000 a year, I don't feel rich. So I think, well, if I make $75,000 a year, then then I'll be rich. But then we we get raises and promotions and we make $75,000 a year and we attain that. And then all of a sudden, a funny thing, isn't it? That when we get to earn $75,000 a year, we don't feel rich any longer. And so we say to ourselves, well, I I must not have crossed the boundary line yet because I don't feel rich. So I must have to earn $100,000 a year in order to feel rich. And so we, we earn $100,000 a year, and and yet we still don't feel rich. We're still scraping by. We're still struggling and drowning in debt. And so you might be sitting here this morning and, and thinking to yourself, well, I'm not rich. But let me remind you quickly that that the one in our midst who, who makes the least amount of money, the, the one who has the least in this congregation, has more than the wealthiest person who read this letter in his own congregation. Because you and I live in the most affluent society in the history of mankind. We have more wealth and more material things than any other society in the history of mankind. We are among the wealthiest Christians in the history of the world. So God's Word here Uh, through the inspiration uh, of the Spirit to Paul, to Timothy, and then to the people in Ephesus, no matter how little we relatively feel that we have in comparison to someone else in our community or in this congregation, Paul's words are for all of us. So don't turn them away or turn them aside. 
but embrace this word that comes to us today. Paul says to Timothy, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them. Not a suggestion. Not counseling. Command them, Paul says to Timothy, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Command those who are rich in this present world. Well, the first question that comes to my curious mind is, well, who are these rich people that Timothy is to command? And again, you say, well, it's not me. I don't have a BMW. I don't have a Lexus. I don't own a big house on a hill. I don't have a large bank account. I don't have many investments. I don't own a boat or an RV, etc., etc. It's not me. These commands can't be for me. I'm not rich. Well, let me have you pause for a moment and tell you what rich means. Here's a definition for being rich. Rich means that you have more than... Finish the sentence for me. How did you know that? Rich means that you have more than you need. You have more than you need. That makes you rich. That is to say that, that you and I have more than we need to, to live, to survive, to eat to sleep, to clothe ourselves, to do what we have to do. If you have any discretionary fund, you have more than you need. And therefore, you are rich. Uh, you'll push back at me and say, well, Rick, you, you don't know all the bills that I'm, I'm dealing with. You don't know all the debt I'm struggling under. Well, I'll tell you, by the time I make the, the mortgage on the house and, and by the time I've paid for the three cars that sit in my garage and by the time that I've clothed my family with, with things from uh, Gap for kids and, and we've eaten uh, out three times this week. Why, there's nothing left, Rick. You're still rich. Why? Because instead of wearing one suit of clothes for a month or six weeks or six months, you've chosen to have outfits, 12 outfits or 14 outfits. Or For, for some, the, the problem goes like this when you're rich. You stand in front of your closet and you look at this, this walk-in closet that's filled with so many outfits of apparel that you can't cram one more hanger in there. And you stand there looking around at shoes and handbags and jewelry and sweaters and blouses and pants and dresses and suit coats and sport coats and gym outfits and shorts and, and cutoffs and jeans of every style and every color. And you say to yourself, I have nothing to wear. 
Or you go out to your three-car garage and you see three wonderful, wonderfully working automobiles that start up every time you turn the key in the ignition. And yet you're not satisfied that they get you from one place to another. You want the latest model. You want the, the one that's fresh off the line with all the souped-up accessories, the map and the DVD player and the table that allows the kids to watch TV and play table games while you make a trip to Grandma's house over the holidays. Do you understand what I'm saying? Those are choices because you have discretion in the spending of your dollars. Now, I know this, this is a bit squirrely and a bit difficult. And, and I don't always feel comfortable talking about money and stewardship. And I'm struggling along with finding the balance in this just like you are. I don't believe, and I'm not saying that we should all have one-room apartments with boxes to sit on and cots to sleep on, and we should all have one outfit which we wear all the time. I don't think that Scripture advocates that. What I'm trying to do this morning to lay the foundation for this series of messages is to point out to you and to all of us that all of us are rich in the sense that we have discretionary dollars. If we choose to spend them on how we eat rather than that we eat, or how we dress rather than that we are clothed, or how we would rather live in this kind of a place rather than just staying warm with shelter over our head, then it would seem to me that we have discretion and therefore we are rich. I'm not going to let us off the hook easily on this. Because there's not one of us in this room, not one of us who is wondering where the next meal is coming from. We may be wondering where we're going to eat the next meal, whether it's at the Golden Corral or the Red Lobster or the Olive Garden or Wendy's, but there's not one of us who's wondering, can I eat the next? So, in that sense, I'm not a poor person, nor are you. I'm able to make decisions about how I spend my money. I have the opportunity and the power to decide what to do with my money. And I'm able to do that every day. And that makes me, my friend, in my opinion, that makes me rich. I have more than I need. And frankly, I could enjoy a simple life where I didn't have those kinds of decisions. And so could you. So let's get it right from the outset that we are rich. Now, there's nothing wrong with being rich. In fact, Acts chapter 15, there was a, a rich lady named Lydia who was of great service to the kingdom's work. She was able to house the Apostle Paul and all of his companions and provided for the advancement of the gospel. Nothing wrong with that. Dorcas in the New Testament was a wealthy lady. She was able to make beautiful garments and she gave them away to the poor. There's nothing wrong with being rich. Philemon was a wealthy man. He owned slaves. He had a big house. 
In fact, a church met in his home. There were many people who were like that. They were rich. You see, it's not, it's not about whether you have it. It's what you do with it that counts. So Paul says to Timothy, command the rich. Now notice there's no command here to give it all away. There's no command to take a vow of poverty. There's no command to live an ascetic lifestyle. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. And my point this morning is to get you to admit that you and I are rich. If you've forgotten how rich we are, then let me remind you of some vital statistics. Did you know that if you earn $37,000 a year, then you are among the top 4% of wage earners in the world? That is to say that if you earn $37,000 a year or your joint household income is $37,000 or more, that there are 96% of the world's people who are poorer than you. Now, I'm convinced that if I were to take a quick poll here this morning and ask you the question, are you rich? Most likely, most of you would say, no, I'm not. He's rich, but I'm not rich. The fact remains, if you earn $37,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. And listen to this. If you earn $45,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. In the top 1%. You are rich. You're at the top of the heap. You're the king of the hill if you earn $45,000 a year. Did you know that at last count, there were about 210 countries in the world did you also know that every American, every year, I'm sorry, every year, Americans spend more on trash bags than the individual gross national product of 90 of those countries? We spend more on trash bags on the things we throw out. I was absolutely embarrassed last week when I hauled our trash out to the curb after the Christmas holiday. Our rubbish bin was absolutely overflowing. And I'm sure the garbage man cursed me out when he emptied it. We spend so much of our time trying to get rich, chasing more, wanting more, getting more, accumulating more, and then dealing with all the worries that go with it that we have forgotten that we are rich. And the truth is, we don't need to know how to get rich because we already are. So the first lesson, and the only lesson that I'm trying to get across today, is to get you to a point where you will admit that you have been blessed and you are rich. Now, before before I urge you to say that, I'm going to say it. I am rich. I have more than I need. I am rich.
just to prove my point, Kathy and I own a, a lovely three-bedroom home on 11 acres in Edinburgh. We own it with the help of the bank right now, but play with me. I own it. Interesting, uh, there's only two people who live in that home. We occupy one bedroom. Even our dog sleeps with us. We have one bedroom that we have converted into a study so that I can read and study and prepare messages and write letters and all of that. We have another bedroom. Uh, It's there, I guess. Uh, We're told not to go to that room. Keep it clean. Don't mess it up. Just in case somebody comes to stay. Just in case... Somebody that we know, or somebody, worse yet, somebody we don't like, decides to come and spend the night with us. So we are to keep it clean. It's called a guest room. We own many convenient appliances. Right now, we have three automobiles at our place. And there's two of us. Kathy switches off days which automobile she's riding with. One of them belongs to our son, Justin, who lives in the Dominican, just so you understand why in the world you'd have three automobiles. But he doesn't need an automobile right now, so we drive three automobiles among the two of us. We have so much food in our pantry and in our refrigerator that over the holidays, you had to rearrange everything in the refrigerator in order to get at what you really want. We have a warm house that is comfortable, heated. In fact, uh, in order to save money so we can eat out more, we've installed an automatic thermostat. If you don't have one, you need one. The automatic thermostat uh, kicks on at 5.30 a.m. to bring the, the ambient temperature of the house up so that when we awake, the house is warm and toasty when we put our feet on the floor. And it is programmed such that when I leave the house at 8.30, that the thermostat is programmed so that the temperature goes down to 63 degrees during the day. The dog doesn't care about the temperature. And I want to save some money so we can eat out more. About 4.30 in the afternoon, the programmable thermostat kicks the heat back up to 69 degrees, our effort at being green and conservation conscious. And so it brings it back up to 69 degrees until we get ready to go to bed, which takes it back down to 63 degrees at night. We want to save money so we can eat out. So before I ask you to say it, I'll say it. Hopefully I won't choke on these. I have more than I need. 
Are you ready to say it? Go ahead. Feels better, doesn't it? We are not only rich spiritually, we are rich materially. Now, I know that, and I don't want you to write me nasty emails and notes. I know that there are some exceptions, and I know that there are some who are struggling, and I know that there are some who are just scraping by. I'm aware of that, and I'm not, not immune to the struggle that you're when I look across the face of this congregation, an epics congregation, there aren't many of us. There aren't many of us who are wondering where the next meal is coming from. There aren't many, not many of us who, who don't have discretionary dollars that we can make some decisions about what we wear, what we eat, where we go, what we do. So the lesson this morning, God has blessed us with more than we need. We are rich. And so over the coming weeks, Ben and I are going to be laying out a case that will hopefully help all of us to understand not how to get rich, but as a Christ follower, how to And I want to tell you, I don't know about you, but I want to get this right. I don't have it right yet, but I want to get this right. Because there are 90, in my case, 99% of the world's population. And I have a responsibility to act responsibly with the blessings God has poured out in my And I want to get this right, not only because someday I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account for my stewardship, but I want to get this right because the example and the model that I leave for my children and you, the people I love, I want you to get it. I don't want you to be so consumed by accumulation and attaining wealth, getting ahead and all the rest, that you forget about the primary responsibility to use this wealth as a faithful steward. So that's where we're going in the coming weeks. And I hope that you'll join us in the journey and that it will be a profitable experience. It will lead us to a place where we can say, I think I'm doing it. Let's ask the Lord to help us. We seek to pursue that end.